Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Wednesday, May 25th. We are here live, and it is Destination Health Day. We're going to open the phone lines right now. I'm going to bring Lauren in. Lauren just jumped in and joined us. Um, And we can also take more calls as well. If you want to jump in um, for both Lauren and I, 855-950-3835. So Lauren, welcome back. Hi, Kevin. How's it going? Good. Great to have you here. I figured I'd uh, just... uh, have you jump in and you and I would take some calls and questions and then uh, we'll get on to our, our day for uh, after hours. We were going to talk about blood sugar. I talked a little bit about it uh, at the beginning of the show. We'll, we'll go a little deeper into that and uh, we'll do a one-on-one, but let's go ahead and let's grab a call. We're going to go to Dallas. Michael, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Hey, uh, I had a question, well, I, other than having a billion questions like I always have, but anyway, uh, I started using light bounce. I started, you know, making the NDK coffee off of an old recipe of yours from like five years ago. I added a couple things, but, uh, the light balance. Okay. I don't use a lot of salt in my food. I mean, I use pink Himalayan salt once in a while, like on eggs, but I noticed that since I started using the light balance, like a lot of my other foods that I eat taste like saltier than normal. Is there any reason why that would be or? Yeah. And, and it's kind of strange, but I think your body's telling you that you now have enough salt. So this was, this was interesting. Lauren, when you went through the training, did you I've only use it for like a couple of weeks? Yeah. So. Well, it doesn't take much and, uh, and I'll explain. And once you understand it, it actually kind of makes sense. But the first time I heard this, I thought it was bizarre. Lauren, did you go through any of the oh. taste and score minerals? Yes. I remember specifically the zinc one where we tasted the acrios zinc to ensure that we had our sufficient amount. Yeah. So, forward, but, um, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I just, that, that was the one that really stands out for me. I didn't do it with any specific minerals, but I know it, it works pretty similarly, correct? Yeah. So, um, Michael, what we're talking about here is when it comes to minerals, you can do this with some vitamins. Uh-huh. It's a little trickier. Minerals work really well. So our body kind of has a self-regulating mechanism when it comes to minerals, and it regulates okay. the amount of mineral we take in through taste. So Lauren mentioned mm-hmm. zinc, and zinc is one of the kind of unique ones, and, and we did test this. So if you take zinc, the mineral zinc, and you put it in water, we call it aqueous zinc, it's just dissolved into water, and you taste it. If it has no taste whatsoever, like you, and and this is what happens for a lot of people, you taste this and you go, well, no, I don't taste anything. It just tastes like water. What that means is that your body wants a lot of zinc. It needs more zinc. Once you get your zinc levels high enough, and then you try to taste this aqueous zinc, it gets this really funky, not pleasant taste at all. And it's your body saying, 
we have enough zinc. Don't eat any more foods with zinc. Don't drink anything with zinc. And your body will make it taste bad so that you don't overconsume it. And we can do this with, with just with every mineral. So what's happening is you started consuming the light balance, which is three different kinds of salts. And now you're tasting your food as being saltier. So what would that tell you? You wouldn't add yeah. salt, would you? No. Well, I, normally I don't. It's just the when I like when I do the well, scrambled eggs or something, I might toss a little salt on there. But yeah, so but I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, that's your body's way. That's how our body regulates our mineral intake because we need minerals. They're good for us. They do some really powerful things. But an overload of minerals can be really bad. I mean, that's that, you know, heavy metals. So we, we don't want to over consume them. And that taste mechanism is our body's kind of safeguard to make sure we consume minerals when we need them, but we don't over consume them. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So I probably just cut down on it for a little while and see what happens then. Yeah. Okay. Um, other question. Uh, my wife didn't get berberine. Uh, which I had told her about, but anyway, uh, she was off with COVID, uh, you know, side effects. She was diabetic to begin with, da, 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 uh, is the steroid medications that they give her for her lungs and all that, it all jacked her with her first, her A1C and blood sugar levels and all that. Um, so she's not able to drive. Well, uh, after being on the insulin pen for a little while, along with the pills that they give her and all that. Uh, and she was taking some kind of blood sugar level or support stuff. I don't know. She got another one here recently, but her recent A1C was 7.4 all the way down from 14 at the height of COVID. Um, so my concern is they took her off the insulin pen, thank God. So she could drive again. But by taking those extra supplements is, I mean, is she, I, I understand she's got to switch diet and this Saturday, the other, but, is, is she getting false readings is, is my question, you know, from taking the supplements on top of the other stuff or whatever? Well, when you say taking supplements like on top of, kind of other supplement. stuff, tell me everything she's taking. Yeah. You know, oh, my God, dude. Onglyza, uh, glipizide, those are for diabetes. Um, Rosuvastatin. That's I assume that's for cholesterol. It is. Because of yeah. statin. Yep. Uh, what's the other? Lisinopril. That's for high blood pressure. Um, some, a baby aspirin every day. Which no, a couple blood thinners. That that recommendation was dropped. The baby aspirin's not good for us. Um, here's, here's the thing. You're at that place. You're supposed to take the, or they're going to get rid of the, uh, the blood thinners after she sees the heart doctor today. Well, maybe because it's been well, what, well. That's what he had said originally. Is that you know x amount of time after stents being put in and all that that so the blood centers would go he, away? But they here, here's know. here's what you have to decide. She's full blown metabolic syndrome. She's got it all: yeah. high blood sugar, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, heart disease. Right. It, it, 
you either stick with the standard medical system and just deal with that the rest of her life. It will be one drug after another, or you get out of the standard American medical system and you start eating some sort of paleo based diet and you work with a functional practitioner. I mean, that's the choice. There really is no in between. So is she willing to make that, that change or not? Funny you should ask, because recently she told me, well, if you start feeling better and seeing results or whatever, because I, you know, again, like that one caller a little bit ago, well, I'm not perfect. Well, yeah, I, I've tried to cut out grains and all that, and I, I'm doing a little better, actually. I mean, I lost 10 pounds, Good. you know, over the 10 Good. pounds that I gained back. But, I mean, it's not a great big amount, but it's a start. At, at any rate, she said recently, well, if you start feeling better, then I'm going to start keto you know, or this, that, or the other. And and I know she's already been trying to switch her diet and I've told her to stay away from grains and, you know, she eats avocados and she, you know, canned, what, oysters and oysters? Yeah, sardines, oysters, tuna, salmon, you know, meat, you know, she's started to switch her diet around, so. And and so let me go back and answer your question then. We don't do any self-testing, so. Is she you know. getting a false reading from taking supplements that might lower her blood sugar? No. No, it's nothing to okay. worry about. I mean, when we talk about something like berberine lowering blood sugar, and it's at least as effective as metformin, we're, we're still talking about a small improvement. And anything we can do would mm-hmm. be good, but nothing. That, that no amount of supplements, there are no supplements on the planet that will will replace her medications and nothing will fix this except a dietary change. Nothing else is going to fix this. No supplements, no drugs. This requires a dietary change. Then the supplements like berberine, yeah, they'll knock a couple points off your blood sugar here and there, and they're much better than drugs, but this is really all about diet. No. Oh, yeah, that's me, 2415. Yeah. Uh, Sedalia, Missouri. Sorry, Kevin. That's all right. Um, but, yeah, okay, well, I uh, I got the website, because I couldn't remember the website to find a functional doctor or whatever, so I, I got that off the chat stuff, and uh, I'm hoping I can talk her into switching, you know, because she's, oh, I'm so tired of that. You know what? Well, what is that? They say you can't keep turning the steering wheel to the left and get a different result. <laughs> well, yeah. And if, if so. she's just recently had stents and she's dealing with cardiovascular issues, I would highly recommend a well, that's been a minute with Dr. Wolfson. Oh, yeah. That's one thing I wanted to ask. Tell that because I can't never understand what you're saying. Is it Wilson or Wolfson? Wolfson, like the like the animal, a wolf. Like the, Oh, OK. All right. Cool. All right. Well, that's all I had, man. I appreciate all the, the, I appreciate the show. I like the new app. I try to listen, you know, about every day. It's a lot funner than when it was on satellite radio. Good, good. We're, we're liking it too. Um, Lauren, we've got some calls on the line, but let's, um, let's jump in and do our open and then we'll mix some uh, calls and questions. in. what do you think? That sounds great. Let's do it. So we're going to talk about uh, some blood sugar regulation today. Where do we want to start? I kind of started by going through the the fact that the body can um, burn two fuels. We can either burn sugar 
or we can burn fat. When we burn sugar, we tend to store uh, most of our calories as fat. That's why we gain weight. Um, but really what we want to talk about now is why is you know blood sugar regulation so important and why is it such a big problem? I'll just throw out you know, a thought, and then you jump in where you want to start. The biggest reason blood sugar is our number one health problem is because sugar in the amounts that we see today should not exist in the human diet. I mean, the the amounts are ridiculously high compared to what we ate as hunter-gatherers. As hunter-gatherers, there's just not a lot of sugar available. There's some starch, but even starch is hard to find in nature. It's almost always in roots, and it's not easy to access, not easy to cook, it's not easy to eat or digest. So for the most part, throughout you know evolution and history, we didn't consume many carbohydrates. And now, unfortunately, our entire food supply seems to be based primarily on carbohydrates and our body just can't handle the amounts of sugar we keep throwing at it. So what, what kind of problems does that create? Where do we want to start here? Well, I mean, I I think that's a good place to start. Um, Just talking about the difference between now and what we, you know, our our macronutrient um, ratios are just very, very off. Like you said, traditionally, um, we wouldn't eat as many carbs, uh, carbs, you know, carbs would be, you know, you'd have to gather them and you wouldn't sit there under a tree eating, you know, fruit all day. You would be nomadic and moving around. So when you came across something, you'd grab a few and then you'd really hunt. And so you'd have a good mixture of, you know, protein, carbs, and fat. But unfortunately, like you said, Currently, in America, uh, there's a, actually, I found a stat that said the average sugar intake is 160 pounds per person per year. That is incredibly high. Yeah, that's so hard to get. when you think your, about this. It's hard to get your head around when you it, think about that. That's more than, um, that's more than 10 pounds a month which means it's more than two and a half pounds a week. (laughs) That's a lot of sugar. That is a lot of sugar. I know. So, and you know, it's not just carbs, but carbs, absolutely. I'd say that that plays the biggest role, but any kind of stress on the body also plays a role in blood sugar regulation. So we have to remember that as well. You know, you know, we're going to talk mainly about how carbohydrates go in and what the function of the different organs are that help balance blood sugar regulation. But, you know, we'll also at some point have to address the fact that stress plays a, a large part in that. So, which we will. Um, but yeah, when I found out 150 pounds per person per year, I was actually quite shocked that is super high um so yeah just you know the key to blood sugar regulation is balance it's about making sure that everything is balanced within the body in terms of what we're putting in energy wise or food wise so when we talk about macronutrients that's, i think that's the easiest way to simplify it because there you are looking at three things 
and we can really wrap our head around it when we think about it in that in that respect. At least for me, it's always been an easier way to to kind of kind of work the way my way around this and put my head around what's going on with sugar. Yeah, you know, and and I think it it also explains why you know we've moved from recommending paleo in the very beginning to keto to nutrient dense keto to now we recommend carnivore more often than any other diet. And we've talked about some of the reasons it simplifies things, easier to understand. But if we look at this from a macronutrient point of view, um, protein doesn't seem to be a macronutrient of concern. Uh, it, it's so easy to get enough protein, especially if you're eating you know, a good diet that's heavy in animal products. You're going to get more protein than you need. It's why... I tell people don't buy protein bars and protein shakes and protein supplements. You can get so much protein, it's not funny. Protein in animal products almost always comes with fat unless we do stupid stuff like, you know, eat boneless, skinless chicken breasts. Why anybody would ever want to do that, I don't know. But that became one of the most popular uh, meals for protein. If we're eating nose to tail, Every time we get protein, we're probably getting a good amount of fat with it. So when you eat the carnivore diet, you're getting plenty of protein, usually plenty of good fats, because the best fats are animal fats, as long as we're eating them raised properly. And carbohydrates become of no concern, because on a true carnivore diet, there's almost no carbohydrates whatsoever. You may get some from dairy, uh, depending on the form you're eating. But I, again, I think it's why we keep coming back to carnivore, even though it sounds extreme, we get better results with, with carnivore than almost anything. And blood sugar is, is a big one. I mean, blood sugar comes under control pretty quickly uh, when you're eating a carnivore diet. Yeah, I agree. It simplifies it, that's for sure. Yeah, it really does. I mean, it, it really, the meals, the foods we eat focus on fat and protein and have very little or no carbohydrates and it just works because really we can boil the whole blood sugar issue down to one thing. Americans consume too many carbohydrates. Yeah, I would say so. Simple carbs too, not just, right. you know, not, you know, and that, that makes a big difference. And I think we should address that actually because, when people, you know, think of a carbohydrate, the first thought is always like bread and pasta. <laughs> I think most people, that's, that's what they picture in their head. Right. And so when, when I am recommending, a, you know, more carbs to somebody, which, you know, I'm, I rarely do because most people are getting entirely too many. But when I am, for those people that I do, I, I have to explain that it's not, you know, those refined carbohydrates, those simple carbs, those simple carbs, the ones that are refined, they are quickly broken down and the, that glucose, that sugar enters that, the bloodstream at a very, very fast rate. It's not attached to anything else, the fibers and, and whatnot that it would, you know, normally be attached to. So when I think of carbohydrates, I like to think of more vegetables and fruit. I like, you know, and, and of course there's a spectrum of how many carbs are in each one, but I think the easier way to really think of carbs is to eliminate the idea of eating processed food altogether. 
because we know how bad that is for us. Those are simple cards. So then what's left is complete cards that are in the form of these fruits and vegetables, which are attached to fiber. And so, and you know, and so when we're breaking that down, we also have to, you know, it's attached to the fiber. So it's an extra step. So your body isn't immediately having that spike in sugar that it gets when it's eating a bread or a pasta. So I think it's important for people to understand that. Yeah. You know, I want to jump in there because one of the, places I think this gets confusing for people when we talked you know in general about simple and complex carbohydrates a lot of times the discussion was around breads and grains and that's when they tried to tell us whole grains were so much healthier than you know processed white bread kind of thing it turns out we were really wrong about that. And I don't want people to go back to that kind of thinking when, you know, when you're describing simple carbohydrates, you're describing heavily processed foods and comparing them to a completely natural food, like a vegetable that could also have carbohydrates. So I I don't want people to go back and say, Oh, well, those whole grains then are healthier carbohydrates. Actually, they're less healthy. They have two problems. One, they do still have all those carbohydrates in them. And two, they have all the offending proteins, gluten and gliadin and a bunch of other stuff. So when we talk about complex, we're never talking about whole grain. We believe in a completely grain-free diet, but we don't think about vegetables when you say carbohydrates, but vegetables do have carbohydrates. The, the thing is, the, the amount in a vegetable is so much lower. You know, when we look at grains, the carbohydrates can just be off the charts. On most vegetables, they're going to be pretty low. You're going to have a very hard time over-consuming carbohydrates just by eating vegetables. I agree. Now we can. So basically, the next thing. Yeah, I was just going to oh, add one more thing. For if you're going to go people, deeper, let's. Yeah, for some people, if if they're if we're trying to stay very very low carb, then you would want to be careful about which vegetables you eat. The general rule of thumb is if the vegetable itself grows above ground on the plant, the part of the plant that's above ground, things like broccoli and cabbage and peppers, and it's probably pretty low carb on its own. If the vegetable itself grows below ground, uh, onions, potatoes, carrots, beets, it's probably going to be a higher carbohydrate vegetable. And for people with blood sugar issues, they do have to be careful of those. You could definitely, if you have a blood sugar issue, you could overconsume beets and carrots. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. What's and, it all, and, and you know, it's a bio individuality as well. That's why people are now really recognizing these continuous glucose monitors and they are tracking to see what is giving them a, you know, a blood sugar, a, a, a raise in their blood sugar, like what's raising their blood sugar. And I think that that is the future because what is causing a rise in blood sugar for me may not be the same for you and vice versa. So, so I think that the future of tracking it is we're going to reveal a lot more about, um, you know, what's going on there. Good point. 
Good point. When I wore the continuous glucose monitor, and I still go back and do it. I have, I probably have six more sensors around here somewhere, and I'll go back at different times and test different things. Uh, some of the stuff was pretty shocking. I think the biggest thing I learned, and the biggest thing that shocked me about you know monitoring blood sugar continuously, was what alcohol does. Alcohol makes an absolute mm-hmm. mess of your blood sugar. Yeah, that would be a little, I mean, and when you're talking alcohol, what alcohol, did you test different types? Yeah. Like wine versus. Yeah, the only difference, so there's two things with alcohol that are going to affect your blood sugar. The alcohol itself, so the amount of alcohol that you consume and the carbohydrates that come along with the alcohol. So if you were to drink a lot of alcohol as beer, you're really going to see some crazy blood sugar numbers because what's happening is all the grains and the sugars in the beer want to raise your blood sugar, but alcohol actually lowers blood sugar. And it can lower it a lot. I mean, it's pretty powerful what it can do. So you will get just kind of crazy readings. If you're drinking vodka which has almost no carbohydrates, but you know, heavy in alcohol, you're probably going to see a pattern where a couple hours after you drink the alcohol, your blood sugar drops like crazy. And then it will probably drive some sort of craving for sweeter foods. And then the next thing you know, you get this big blood sugar spike. And it, it, your blood sugar will be kind of messed up for about 36 hours after you drink alcohol. Wow. Quite the effect. It is. It is. All right. What else? Well, I think it's important to understand that it's a balancing act, this whole blood sugar regulation. So, um, so basically, and, and, and also the different organs that are involved. So we'll start with, you know, you know, we, we understand that there's a sweet spot. Well, we should understand that there's a sweet spot, um, that our blood sugar, we should have enough, you know, glucose in the blood to give us enough energy for basic bodily functions, you know, but you know, if it's too low, then we're not going to have that enough energy. So we, you know, if it's too high, then we're in a dangerous state and you can kind of think of diabetes and how dangerous that can be. But this, there's a sweet spot, and the sweet spot is actually around 89 milligrams per deciliter in the blood. So I know if that's kind of hard to wrap your head around, but the, po- the point here is that there is a sweet spot. So then the next question is, how do we keep blood sugar at that sweet spot? How do we ensure that, you know, all of the, the organs involved are playing their part and that we're eating foods that are not, you know, spiking us too high and that we're not ever at a severely low um, blood sugar situation. And so we'll talk about how our body corrects itself to keep that balance, that perfect balance going. So um, I was just going to mention the, the organs involved and like the, the different parts of the body involved. Sure. Um, so with blood sugar regulation, the central nervous system is critical because it communicates with, you know, the rest of the body. So it communicates with the pancreas, 
the liver, the skeletal muscles, the adipose tissue or fat, body fat is another way to think of that, and the adrenals, the adrenal glands. So all of these will, will create this, um, they'll work together to create this balance. So, so with blood sugar regulation, the pancreas will, so basically, I'll just go into, um, so we'll talk about how the blood sugar is regulated in a fed state, so when we're actually eating food, and then we'll go into um, when there's, you know, low blood sugar and how we actually, how the body works to get more glucose into the blood for energy. So, um, so in the fed state, we eat food, we digest it, which we talked about in the last um, show we did. Actually, the last two, I think. I think we talked about digestion first and then digestion dysfunction and all the different ways that we could screw up our digestion. Our digestion. So um, if you want to learn more about that, you can go to those two shows. But we eat food, we digest it. Um, those macronutrients are converted into smaller particles that the body can use. So proteins are the building blocks of the body. Um, so they make everything from, you know, like your muscles and your skin and so much more. Fats have many functions that we won't get too into, but um, fats are important for the integrity of the cells. And I'm sure you've heard us talk a lot about inflammatory responses um, and how to keep inflammation down with good, healthy fatty acids. And then carbohydrates are converted to glucose for energy. So basically the, we eat, digest, the nervous system senses a rise in blood sugar and it sends a signal to the pancreas. And we talked about the pancreas um, as a, we, we, we looked up the word actually as a endocrine um, function and, or an exocrine function. And now this is actually an endocrine function. So the pancreas makes and releases insulin. Insulin takes the glucose in the blood and it opens the cells of the body so that the glucose can enter the cells. So each one of our cells needs glucose to create energy. Um, and the form of energy is called ATP. And basically, the glucose goes into the cells for energy, and it's also stored. So any excess, so if, if you're not using that, that energy right away, then the glucose is stored. And it's stored in the liver and the muscles. And then any excess that doesn't, you know, fit there is then stored in the adipose tissue, which is known as the fat, as triglycerides. So that's really important to know because I don't think people ever connect the dots between gaining weight and sugar. And that's really important to understand that any excess, so if you're eating a lot of sugar, a lot of carbohydrates, and your liver and muscles are full, storing plenty of it for later use, then all of that extra glucose has to go somewhere. So it gets stored as fat. So we have to remember that eating excess carbs leads to gaining weight. So that's the, the major link there. And the, Do you have anything to add there with the triglycerides? 
Yeah, I was going to say the other link, I think, that really um, was kind of a breakthrough for me on this. Because, you know, I can go back to even when I was a kid, they they figured out the sugar thing pretty quickly. I mean, we've always kind of known sugar made us gain weight. It, you know, I remember they brought out like the first diet soda tab or whatever it was, and then everybody made a diet soda because we targeted sugar as the major problem, and it is, no doubt. But, you know, the more diet sodas we have on the market, the fatter people seem to get. So obviously that didn't work. Um, there's way too much sugar in the diet overall. Carbohydrates are through the roof. But the secondary factor here that kind of helped me understand this was when insulin is present, that also causes us to gain weight. And the way that it causes us to gain weight is insulin is a signaling molecule. And when insulin is high, the body stores excess calories as fat. When insulin is low, you could have the same number of calories available, but the body won't store them it will convert them to energy and you just move more. And that, that, I think, is a hard thing for a lot of people to get their head around. It's not calories. It's not the amount of food you eat. It's what your body does with the food. And we now know that insulin is the master hormone that puts us into fat storage mode. The clue for this that we should have realized was and I had a call about this this morning, the first indicator that somebody might have type 1 diabetes. In type 1, your body stops producing insulin. And the, the result of that is because there's no insulin, your body will not store fat. And the caller said, no matter how much I eat, I keep losing weight. And the number one reason for that could be your pancreas isn't producing enough insulin. And without insulin, you can eat and eat and eat and eat and you won't gain weight. We, we should have realized a long time ago that that was a clue. When people get type 1 diabetes, they lose incredible amounts of weight no matter how much they eat. We should have figured that out. Well, we have now. So now we know that it's not about calories or how much food you eat. It's what food you eat. Carbohydrates spike insulin. Insulin tells your body to store excess energy as weight. It's actually a pretty simple um, mechanism for what's happening. And if we keep carbohydrates low, then your body just takes whatever calories are available and says, hey, let's use that as energy. Yeah, that's actually a really, I'm happy you brought that up because you're absolutely right. And that's kind of like the missing link there. The insulin is what really is causing you to gain weight. Yeah, you can eat an awful lot of calories on a um, on a you know high fat diet because fat is loaded with calories, and yet you keep losing weight because insulin or fat mm-hmm. is the one macronutrient that doesn't affect insulin at all. Even protein can have a small effect on it, but fat has no effect on insulin. You eat a high-fat diet and you just continue to lose weight because you keep your insulin levels so low. And a good carnivore diet does the same thing. So it, it's, you know, that this really isn't disputed anymore. We, we get this. So now it's just a matter of, you know, how do you eat a very low-carb diet? Because that is what will um, 
help you lose weight and reverse all these other issues with metabolic syndrome, which seem to be driven by these high insulin and high sugar levels. So when you cut down carbohydrates in your diet, you fix both of those problems. The sugar isn't available and the insulin isn't there. So the explanation is actually pretty darn simple. I guess that's why they, we call this back to the basics, huh? Yeah. <laughs> These are the basics, that's for sure. All right, what's next? So that's basically, yeah, that's basically how it works when you're eating. So in a fed state, that is what's going on. Your, your body is essentially using it or storing it, and it stores it, you know, in the, the liver, the muscles, or as fat. So any excess is going to be stored as fat. So if you don't want to gain weight, you got to cut back the carbs. There you go. Um, in the fasted state, in fasted state, we have glucose starting to fall, you know, coming out of the bloodstream. Um, the central nervous system, obviously, that's, that's you know, what it signals, and that's what notices what's going on. So it tells the pancreas to release a hormone called glucagon. This hormone, it, it breaks down, um, it breaks down stored glucose, basically. So the stored glucose could be either in the liver, stored in the liver, or it could be broken down from non-carbohydrate non sources of glucose, like fat in your adipose tissue, and also your um, skeletal muscles, because there's, uh, there's glycogen there as well. So, so that's basically what's going on there. It's, it's telling your body, hey, you know, there's not enough sugar in the blood, glucose in the blood. Let's get it from where we just stored it. And so it goes and gets it from the liver or the muscles and adipose tissue, the fat. So that's how you can burn fat when you're... You know, blood sugar is low, not too low, but you know, to a safe, to, in a safe spot where then you're starting to to have to go into your your stored um, glycogen to break down. And then um, I should mention the adrenals because the adrenals do play a very small role. Well, it's supposed to be, supposed to be a very subtle role in blood sugar regulation. So. You know, when blood sugar regulation becomes dysfunctional, that's when you get the adrenals playing a much larger role. So we can talk about that in a minute, but let's just talk about the role of the adrenals. So, like I said, it's supposed to play, you know, they're supposed to play a very small role. Hormones are used to do this. So epinephrine, norepinephrine, and cortisol um, are released from the adrenals. So the adrenals are signals saying, hey, blood sugar is low, let's um, kind of, you know, raise it. But this is typically for like an emergency state. So if you need a quick response, so for instance, you know, fight or flight situation, if something's chasing you, or if you, you know, are looking, you know, looking to hunt your next meal and you need that extra surge of energy because you just saw something that, that you need to go get. So epinephrine um, is released. It gives you a glucose kick and it releases stored blood sugar from fats and protein um, and glucose stores. So 
That's basically how the adrenals are uh, work within the blood sugar regulation process. But like I said, they're supposed to play a subtle role. It's just supposed to be for emergency mode. The problem is these days we are all in a high stress environment. We live high stress. So when I say that in you know the beginning of this conversation, that stress plays also plays a role in blood sugar regulation. This is how it plays a role. It triggers the release of these hormones from the adrenals that then raises your blood sugar. So, you know, we do get these calls every so often saying, hey, I, I feel like I'm doing everything right. I'm eating super low carb. I'm actually carnivore. And I can't seem to get my blood sugar down. I'm getting these super high rate, you know, readings still. Well, it's probably because you're in a stress state. So we have to look at your lifestyle. What's going on there? Um, I worked with someone the other day who works in the evening. So his day starts around 6 p.m. at night and he's working 10 to 12 hours, you know, per shift. That is going to extremely stress, um, you know, the body and it's going to put you in this state. So he's in a situation where he's, feels like he's doing everything right in terms of what he's eating and his blood sugar and pressure is, is super high. So that's why when we talk about stress and mitigating stress, um, it's important for overall health. Do you want to add anything, Kevin? Yeah, I do. So last two shows where we talked about digestion, we talked about how the fight or flight response kind of derails digestion because it shuts it off. If your life is in mm-hmm. danger, we don't need to worry about digesting food right this minute. And that takes a lot of energy. So our body shuts off digestion and creates sugar so that we have good, quick energy stores. And what we're really seeing is a mechanism that we evolved with over, you know, thousands of years that was designed to save our life is now killing us. We've talked about the first two things back to the basics, digestion and fight or flight turns it off completely. That's a problem. And in this case, fight or flight tells our body to make more sugar. We're trying to eat a low sugar, low carbohydrate diet, and yet our body is trying to produce sugar all day long. Let me ask you a question. And I want everybody listening to think about this. Can you think of a time? I was just trying to think of one throughout my whole life, and I haven't come up with one yet. Um, There must be one. I haven't thought of any yet. I want everybody to think about this. Can you think of a time where the fight or flight response actually saved your life? Hmm. I can't. I mean, I know that there there has been one for sure. There has to be. I mean, you've never, I mean, I can't think of the specific situation, I, but right. I would think getting yourself out of danger, like removing yourself from, from like a dangerous situation. Like if you were, I don't know, in, if you were in the middle of the road and all of a sudden a car came out of nowhere or something like that, that right. would be an example right. of. That would be, but I, I just have a feeling we've made our life so safe that our fight or flight response doesn't get used all that often anymore. I mean, we, we've made everything about our life. We, we talk about safety all the time. 
Everybody wants to be safe, which is fine. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but um, I think for most people, they would have a hard time picking out a specific time where the fight or flight response actually saved their life. It, it doesn't seem to be nearly as necessary of a response as it did when we lived as hunter-gatherers. And now, instead, we have this constant, never-ending stress that keeps us in that fight-or-flight mode, and it's killing us slowly. The response does almost nothing to save our life in today's world, and yet it does an awful lot to make us sick and kill us. Yeah, it's to this constant underlying stress. It's putting us in that, that sympathetic state all the time. That is the, the current problem. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, it's, it's worrying about, it's worrying about things that, that we didn't, that no one worried about back then. It's worrying about how you're going to pay your next bill. Right. You know, how you are going to tell your boss, you know, that, that you're going on vacation, how you're dealing with a friend that who did something that you didn't agree with. You know, there's like all this, you know, underlying stuff that keeps us up at night that we really, you know. You, you know, a big one know. for a lot of people that never even used to exist till just the last decade or so. How many people are stressed out over what they read or saw or what somebody said about them on social media? Mm, that's a really good one. That one didn't even yeah. exist a decade ago, really. I mean, there weren't that many people, you know, heavy into social media just 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Forget it. It was almost unheard of. But how many, especially kids, I mean, we hear about it all the time. Kids are so stressed over what somebody said about them in social media. We post something, and if it mm -hmm. doesn't get 30 likes in the first 10 minutes, we're depressed. Oh, that's so true. I was reading an article, I think yesterday, about teen suicide rates, and one of the mothers is just trying to come to terms with what happened with her daughter who committed suicide, and when she looked at her phone and compared it, like the, the photos in her phone, and she compared it to a post on social media, she saw that there were over 50 photos taken of her, you know, that she took of herself in order to get that one that she approved you know, of putting on social media and it just, and I think that happens a lot more than, than, than you think. I, I really think, do. I think for teenagers and kids today, it's almost nonstop. Mm -hmm. You know, I know we talk wow. about this a lot, but I, I, I think we just talk about it. It never really clicks. We were um, Lisa and I were out shopping the other day at kind of like an outdoor mall area and, I don't like shopping or, you know, I prefer to be outside. So when she goes in the stores, I usually just sit outside somewhere and people watch. And I, I was just blown away again. I, there were probably 10 to 15 people that I could see around me, sitting at tables, walking by, going in and out of stores, whatever. And at any given time, 90% of the people that I could see around me, and I sat there for maybe 20 or 30 minutes, that at any given time, 90% of the people were staring at their phone. It's nonstop. I just, I, 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 it's, it's not good for us. It's, it, it raises our stress levels. It's bad for our health. 
It's bad for our mental health. Uh, I don't see that that's ever going to change. I mean, I don't see social media going away. I don't see it getting better. I think it, it gets worse. But, you know, that is another big factor when it comes to blood sugar issues. We're, we're struggling with them more than ever. And some of it is just because we keep our body in a constant fight or flight mode all day long. Yeah, it's true. So reducing stress is important as well. <laughs> yes. Yes. Get to work on those stress buster protocols. Uh, what do you say we, uh, we take a call? All right, let's do it. All right. Let's go to Tennessee. Danny, welcome to the program. Well, hello, Kevin and Lauren. Um, blood pressure. I told you there it was kind of all over the place at the truck show, and I was that functional medicine lady doctor. I don't think she uh, should be called a functional medicine doctor because some of her suggestions were totally opposite of what you and Dr. Wolfson and Dr. Barry and all them others and she said that uh, you know might might want to look at lower lower fat and this and that. I moved on from her. Well, good. But I I ordered I ordered the uh, cardio miracle. Man, that stuff tastes so good. <laughs> but yeah, we. I'm I, not seeing any result. Okay, how long have you been taking it? I just started my second uh, uh, container. It's the oh. uh, the smaller one of the the, the sixty count. But that's a lot. You so you know not yeah. just a couple of days. I mean, you've been through an entire container, uh, and I'm assuming yeah, about a month. You're checking your own blood sugar or, or blood pressure levels. Yeah, I got an Omron that I keep in the truck and check it. Now I did notice um, would 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 is potassium? Is that because we did? Uh, well, she did. So wife at home, but she she looked it up and says that uh, being on keto, you need a lot more potassium than a the standard American diet, which doesn't make any sense. But it did the, the potassium did have some effect. Eating foods and supplements, it did lower it some, <clears throat> but it still it might drop uh, one. 38 over 88 somewhere around there or one but it, and the next day it could be jumped back up to 152 over 105 or okay. in that range so a couple things one um <clears throat> potassium is you need more potassium on a keto diet we've identified that years and years ago we're not exactly sure why uh it's why we recommend light balance it's why it's our number one selling product. I put light balance I, in my coffee every I day. Go through that. Yeah. So, yep. so that's, that's the potassium thing. Why would it be that light balance didn't solve your pro or not light balance, but the cardio miracle. So troubleshooting health is just like troubleshooting a truck. There are, there can be multiple reasons for the same outcome. So when we're looking at a truck and it's getting 
poor fuel economy, we could look at all kinds of reasons. Is it because there's too much rolling resistance? Is it because the engine isn't burning the fuel completely? And then we would, once we figure out which problem is causing it, what the root cause is, then we would address that. But if we address the wrong root cause, let sleep for an example is a good one. If somebody is actually low on melatonin, then supplementing melatonin may help their sleep. If they're not low on melatonin, then you can supplement melatonin all you want. It's not going to fix the problem. Their problem may be that they're overly sensitive uh, to histamines. So then we could use a product that lowers histamines and that would work for them, but that might not work for somebody else. One of the most common causes of high blood pressure is a lack of NOx, um, nitric oxide in the body. So that's what Cardio Miracle does. It's the nutrients your body needs to increase nitric oxide production. If you're taking Cardio Miracle and your blood pressure doesn't come down, it's because that wasn't the root cause for you. For most people, it usually is. That's why Cardio Miracle works so well for so many people. But when you've been through a whole tub of it and you're not seeing any change in blood pressure, that's telling me that nitric oxide isn't your issue now we need to dig deeper are you you may have an overabundance of cortisol something lauren was just talking about um, based on your stress levels your body might be producing so much cortisol that that's raising your stress levels which will raise your blood pressure well is that something you can test for? You can do oh, a yeah. cortisol test. I know test. my blood my blood sugar is fine. My blood sugar is fine because I just donated blood like two weeks ago, and they check your blood. I think they know what they do with the finger prick. They check something with the blood. Yeah, they do check. Oh, no, that's sugar. iron. I'm sorry. Well, they check iron as well, but okay. they, they can check blood sugar. I, I, yeah, knowing yeah. you and, and the way you eat and the rest of the things I know about you, I, I'm not concerned about your blood sugar. Uh, your blood pressure, I have a feeling, is going to come down to uh, an issue with stress and adrenal and cortisol. Cortisol is actually a 24-hour test. Uh, and you can do them at home. They have good, accurate cortisol tests at home. Um, most of them use saliva. So you get like four tubes. They'll tell you, you know, at this time of the day, you know, fill this tube with saliva. And then you do all four tubes and you send them in. And they'll, because there are times when we want higher cortisol levels. Then there are times when we want lower cortisol levels. So we actually test this on a 24-hour cycle to see is it raising when it's supposed to when you wake up in the morning your cortisol should start climbing towards the end of the day it should start dropping to get you prepared to go to sleep all right i'll look into it and check on that um all right it's crazy though how much it fluctuates though well it will i mean i've had i will say activity uh, we went hiking and uh, up in the mountains, and it was a good three, four miles, and which I don't know if that's a lot for some, but maybe not. It was strenuous, but we got home and I checked it, and uh, it, I couldn't believe how much it dropped. 
Oh, well, that was some of my lowest numbers. There's there's a good sign. That's how we troubleshoot. Remember, what I'm saying is we have to find your reason why yours is elevated. And if a, a three to four mile hike in the woods can be a really good hike. I mean, that, that could be a very strenuous, very good hike. And if if exercise like that lowers your number, then stress probably is your factor. Uh, w- walking in the woods is one of the best ways we break stress. You're not thinking about work and life and bills and all the other issues, and you're getting plenty of fresh air and your heart beating, and it, that's a good sign. So that's what you want to focus on more. Maybe you don't need the cardio miracle at all. Maybe you need, you know, to hike in the woods two or three times a week. You know what I, I need to go and look at here, too, is over the winter, I was pulling a reefer. So, uh, what do you do when you're pulling a reefer? You're sitting driving, and when you're not driving, you're not doing anything. Right. When I get under power only, uh, doing uh, the nursery where I actually get out and help uh, unload, and then my flatbed, you know, you're working pretty hard doing that, and... Right. I need to look and see if it correlates between, I'll bet you know, does. just being sedentary or I'll, that's what I'm thinking too. I'll bet it does. I think we just identified your root cause. You just need to stay a little more active. Well, I, usually I am when I'm home because I got like 18 million projects and I'm going constantly and to the point to where, I mean, it's, it, she'll tell me, come in and take a break because right. I'm like ready to pass out and it's right. like, Almost done. Yeah. No, that's good. I'm crawling I, I back think, up to the house. I need a drink of water. Yeah. No, I think we figured it out. I think for you, it's going to be the activity that'll make the biggest difference. Well, if it is stress, part of it, it's got to be subconscious because I, I've got a don't give a bleep attitude on a lot of stuff. You know, it's like you can't control things. Don't freak out about it you know no, I, I mean i i, I agree and, and you know some uh, people have a, a personality that stress affects them more but i'm pretty clear you've got some stress somewhere that is affecting this i wish i knew what it was well uh, work on some of those stress buster protocols but you've you've already kind of figured out what works for you go take a hike let's uh lauren anything uh Anything to add to that? I know you, you yeah. see a lot of this in the Nutricues now, more stress-related issues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, stress-related, but also um, I think a lot of people are surprised to hear that there's a lot of different, you know, medications and, you know, even some supplements and herbs that can raise blood pressure. So if you're taking anything, um, you know, that's always something to, to keep in mind. Uh, good point. Good point. And I don't think we mentioned that in blood sugar, but that's another issue. We know that um, uh, steroids can, blood sugar will go through the roof when you're on steroids. So both blood sugar and blood pressure could both be affected by uh, medications or possibly supplements. Let's, uh, let's grab mm-hmm. another call. We're going to go to Detroit. Robert, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Good morning. Uh, uh, thanks for all you do. Uh, you too, Lauren. Um, I had a question about brain octane. 
um, it's hard on plastic and it'll, I use a blend jet to make my coffee. And sometimes if I forget to take it out, it'll eat the plastic on that blend jet. You know, if I don't use it right away. Yes. Well, uh, how much are you using? Well, I'll, I'll tell you just a, Something else, don't ever pour brain octane into a styrofoam cup. Cup, yep. I learned that in my semi, grabbed it, come out of the store, and the styrofoam cup was going to transfer it as soon as I got in the truck and blend it in the blend jet, and that cup didn't make it from the store to my truck. Yeah, so brain octane will just dissolve a, a styrofoam cup almost instantly. Don't forget, we call these essential fatty acids. Mm-hmm. Good point. These are acids. I know we don't think of them that okay. way, but they they can react with certain other materials that way. And uh, plastic and, and even worse, styrofoam, uh, brain octane will dissolve it. Okay. And, and then on a side note, the cardio miracle, the guy who called in and said he uses apple cider vinegar in it, way to go, because that... <laughs> I'm hooked and that's how I get apple cider vinegar in there now is just add it right in blend jet and away we go excellent excellent love that but that's all I needed I, I now I don't now what I do is I just take the brain octane or a lot of times I'll you just use coconut oil and I'll just put it in a coffee and not go through the plastic or anything and then put it in the metal cup yeah, and that's, that's- that that I, I mix my, I have a Yeti um, coffee cup that I just love because I love my coffee to stay really hot. So I, and I use a stick blender and I just mix it right in the cup. Everything goes in the cup, then the coffee goes in, then I blend it and done. Because the brain octane, like I said, you got to be careful with that stuff. Yep. Yeah. That's all I needed. All right. Thanks. I haven't experienced it because I don't, I don't use plastic, but that, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Good point. I try not to, I try to use glass and uh, stainless steel whenever I can. I can't believe how much glass I have in my kitchen now. Um, I have glass jars everywhere. Uh, let's grab another call. Let's go to Texas. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy, Kevin and Warren. Um, so next time someone tells me to go take a hike, I'll just say thanks for being concerned about my blood pressure. Thanks. That's right. Take a hike. <laughs> yeah. Um, your ring story, that reminded me of a story my father always told me. He swore that he lost his ring doing concrete construction when he was help building the school up the road from our house. 27 years later, he found it in the vegetable garden. Did he? That he'd been digging for 27 years. <laughs> yeah, 27 years it was in the in the vegetable garden. That's <laughs> hilarious. I thought two years was crazy. I, Lauren, I don't know if you heard or yep. not. I um, Two years ago, uh, I was out gardening, and I came in, and I went to wash my hands and realized I had lost my aura ring. And I I knew right where I was working and I went out and spent a couple hours digging through that part of the garden and just never found it. And yesterday I was out planting stuff and I found my ring. Wow. Yeah, two years later. (laughs) I knew you lost it. Wow, that's funny. (laughs) Yeah. 
27 <laughs> years, though. Um, That's really crazy. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. he swore. He always said, oh, I lost it when I was pouring concrete up there at the school. Right. 27 years later. Guess what I found? <laughs> yeah, so he was very, very joyed at that. So, um, yeah. Go ahead. I used to eat a lot of fruit. Apple, orange, banana, just about every day. Berries. Well, since just after the truck show, I thought, I'm going to do a little experiment. So I still eat about three or four bananas a week, but I cut out the oranges and the apples pretty much all together. And I eat less berries. And mostly I only eat ice cream about once a week when I'm home. Instead of eating, if I was home for three days, I'd eat ice cream three nights a week. So when I was at the truck show, I was 185 pounds. And probably only in the last month is when I cut out, cut down on the fruit and changed nothing else. This morning when I hopped on the scales at home, I was 179. Yeah, I I could see Just that. Just by cutting out the fruit. I know. I um, yeah. I eat fruit just about every day, and actually, right now, more so than normal. Um, Lisa got on this blueberry kick, and she was buying like ten pounds of really beautiful organic blueberries, and she would turn them into this like light syrup almost. I think she puts a little bit of maple syrup and some lemon. <laughs> She cooks them down a little bit, and that is so good with the yogurt that I've been eating berries and yogurt just about every day now. In fact, she made a big batch, and I canned it, so it'll last even longer. Um, I don't seem to notice any change in weight for me when I stop fruit or um, eat it, but I don't eat a lot. I mean, it might be one apple a day or one banana a day or you know, a half a cup of berries or something. And the one, I I can't even measure it, but I swear for some reason when I eat apples more often, I just feel better. I'm not even sure what that means, but um, I think there's something about apples. But clearly if, if you stopped the fruit and you lost weight, that would be an indicator that it was the fruit causing it. Yeah, well, that was the only change I made. And, uh, in the month or five weeks, probably, in this morning. I, the heaviest I've been since I've been in this country, which is 22 and a half years, is about 205. But that was when I was doing a reefer and burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. And But the last few years, I've been 190 has probably been my heavyweight. And then this morning, I was 179, so... Well, there, there you go. So, and then uh, just one other short story. My sister back in New Zealand, she's been training for a multi-sport event, and she borrowed a different kayak off a guy to try it out. He says, oh, you, you might want to try my boat. It might get your paddling speed up. So she borrowed this boat, went on a six-mile paddle, and then uh, the next day, took his boat back, 
to his where he worked, and oh no, he's not here. He's sick. Oh, okay. So she does bookkeeping for him as well, and then she called him and she says, "Are you sick? Yeah, I got the COVID. Oh, and she's like, oh well, I'll just do the work from my place." And he said, "Well, you won't be able to because you don't have the program on the computer." Oh, that's poignant. So she said, "Well, we'll just have to put it off." Well, then. The next day, she said she wasn't feeling that well. I said, well, maybe I overtrained. Different boat, different, slightly different. And she was a little bit sore, and she said, well, it's just the, the, the training I did. That night, she says, oh, I think I've got a temperature. So she took her temperature, and it was 100. So she took a COVID test, and she had COVID. Three days later, she says, oh, I don't feel sore or sick, temperature had gone. The guy she borrowed the boat from, um, he's vaccinated and his whole family is vaccinated. They all got COVID. She's not vaccinated, don't wear a mask. Three days later, she was over it. A week later, he was still at home in bed. You know... There's so much I could talk about with the vaccine. There's so much data out there now. When you can find it, it, it's hard to find, but I have found some. There's some new stuff going on. And I keep thinking I'm going to do this big, you know, show all about the vaccine. All I want everything to come out. The problem is we've said it all already. I mean, there isn't anything new. Nobody seems to be listening um, so I, I just don't even know what the point is. But the vaccine, when you look at the results now, has been a complete failure. And nobody even wants to talk about that. Yep. Moderna and the NIH just finished a long-term study. And it, basically what they're saying now is we might have to go back and really relook at this because they now believe that the vaccine itself can cause more problems for people when a new variant comes along. That the vaccine actually makes them more susceptible to having problems under a different variant. That's the NIH, that's Fauci's group, and Moderna, the company yep. that makes the vaccine. Well, wait a minute. Weren't they supposed to figure all that stuff out during the testing before they convinced a billion people to take this? Because all the results now seem to yeah, be well that not only is your, your immunity much, much stronger if you just get COVID yourself without a vaccine, they were trying to say, oh, but it's even better if you got COVID and you have the vaccine. Well, now that's not true. Yeah. The data doesn't even point that out. The data, it, it's actually worse now if you get COVID but have the vaccine. Your outcome could be worse. Well, they're still pushing it in New Zealand. Oh, you need to get vaccinated. And if you've been vaccinated, don't forget to go back and get your booster yeah, shot. Yeah, so they're, they're still saying it here. Reading from the same Fauci book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's ridiculous. Crazy. None of the science, none of the evidence shows that to be true, but they just keep saying it. I guess if you say it enough, it, uh, it becomes true. Hey, uh, Lauren, I know we were going to do uh, a follow up on our blood sugar basics with a uh um with a case study right yeah we are what do you we say can. 
What do you say we do something a little different today? What do you say if we wrap this up, take like a 10 or 15 minute break, whatever you need, and we'll go do a Q&A live on HealthyTribe.com and you go over the case study there. Oh, that sounds great. Let's do that. Okay. What time do you want to start? Um, it's 20 after one. Let's start at one forty Eastern time. That works. That works. So that 20 minutes be, from now. Yep. That'll be 1040, uh, West coast time or 20 minutes from now, wherever you are, we will see you live on healthy tribe.com. We'll do a quick review of the case study. And then it is a free for all on Q and a can ask us any question you want. Uh, Lauren is live on the video answering questions. I'm in the background on chat helping her answer some of those questions. So we will see you at healthytribe.com in 20 minutes. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.